Well, good evening. I was joking with some of you that now I can see your faces, and so it's a whole different experience. Ash Wednesday uh, starts our Lenten series and season, and tonight is a night in which we worship God, and we also learn. It's an educational time tonight, as well as a reflective time. So we're going to begin with Psalm 46, a psalm which states out, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. God is our refuge and strength. Tonight you're going to be using your Bible, you're going to be using your hymnal, as well as your bulletin, as much of our work is done together. Our first item is called a litany. It's a fancy way of saying a prayer, and it's a responsive prayer. It's from Psalm 51, a psalm where we're told that David was confessing his sin. And tonight we will confess together using Psalm 51. It's responsive. I forgot the hymn. We'll do the hymn first. I need thee every hour. It's so true. Let's sing. There's an advantage to having you close. You can give me instruction for when I'm off. We're going to confess using Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. 
according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Oh Lord, may our hearts be broken before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Lent, I was ask the question, can we turn me down just a little? I feel like I'm bouncing around. Is it because of where I'm standing? How's that, a little better? Okay. I was asked the question, Lent, where does that come from? Lent is from the old English word for lengthen or lengthening of the days. It's representing the season and time that we already understand ourselves to be in, that time where spring will soon be upon us. But it goes back even further than that, before that name, where there was a period of preparation for those who wanted to confess their faith in Jesus. The early church would prepare a period of time for them to study and learn and grow before they were baptized and confessed Jesus on Easter. That time became a time of 40 days, a time that was a time of preparation. And it was not only for new believers, but for the church as well. The church would engage alongside of those who were ready to confess their faith. And the church would use this time as well to, to look once again at their previous decisions to follow Christ, to explore where they were in their faith, and to ask hard questions to truly repent once again. So Lent comes to us as a season that was developed very early in the church. And Ash Wednesday started to develop as a time to start that season 
and remember our own mortality as well as to repent, to start anew. And so that's the background for what we are doing this evening. And the three passages that we're about to hear from, I encourage you to read along with me in the Old Testament and the New Testament when we do so. The page numbers are there for you to find your way. But these three passages are the traditional passages that have been passed down, that churches and generations of Christians have perused on this first Sunday, or first day of Lent. Now, a word in preparation for what we're about to read. Sometimes it's helpful to know what we are about to read because what we read will be confusing to us, particularly what that's true when we step into any of the prophets. We start to hear things that we don't understand, and we just trust that we should hear it, and it's good for us, but we don't know why. So I'm going to give you three anchors to hold on to. Much like the educator is familiar with uh, the three R's, uh, reading, writing, and arithmetic. You've heard that before, yes? Reading, writing, and arithmetic. Of course, writing starts with a W, and arithmetic is the second letter as well. But you get the three R's in there. Tonight we have three R's that represent our three passages. The first R is repent. Repent. That will go with our Joel passage. The second R is reconcile. Reconcile. And that will go with our second Corinthians passage. And the third R is reward. Reward. And that will be with our passage from the Gospel of Matthew. So repent, reconcile, and reward. That first passage, repent, from the, God, from the prophet Joel. Joel is written, most think that it was written probably after the Israelites had come back out of exile, back after the time of the Babylonians and the Persians, back in the time when we read about Ezra and Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the temple and the rebuilding of the walls, even after all of that and feeling like, okay, finally God's putting us back in place, they still are struggling to follow and do what God calls them to do. And so most scholars are in a position of thinking that Joel is written during this time writing once again to a community of faith that is drifting, struggling, much like we do in our own daily walks. We want to follow God. We want to be faithful to God, but we find ourselves drifting away. And so the prophet Joel is writing. From chapter 2, the first two verses, and then we'll bump on to verse 12. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Zion is representation for Jerusalem. Holy hill is a representation of Jerusalem. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. In this case, the day of the Lord is a day of judgment, a day of darkness 
and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains. A large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor ever will be in ages to come. This is a time of dread that they are being warned about. But in verse 12, we move away from that theme and hear this. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me. In other words, repent. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Notice that. God is calling them to return, to repent, to truly give their hearts back to God. It's not about all the right behaviors of religion. It's about truly bringing their hearts back to God. The theme continues. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. What had been spoken of before our reading today was a message of an incredible plague of locusts as well as an incredible drought such that they felt that they didn't even have enough to eat or drink and certainly not enough to bring into the temple of God a bread offering or a drink offering for God. And so the message here is here that maybe God would relent and allow that to happen. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. In other words, let everybody stop what they're doing and come. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? The message of Joel, the message that the prophet was called to carry, was a message calling the people to repent, to return. Repent's a fancy church word we throw around. Or maybe the church lady uses on Saturday Night Live. But it means to turn, to return. Not just to make a simple pivot, but to turn away from what one was doing and turn and embrace God once again. To repent. Ash Wednesday begins with a reminder that we are to repent and return to God. Which brings us to our second R, reconcile. Reconcile. It's in Paul's letter to the second letter that we have that he writes to the Corinthians. And here we have Paul sharing what it is to carry God's message of love. What it is to 
reconcile people. Paul is saying that we are all agents or ambassadors called to carry that message that God has of reconciliation, that message of Jesus Christ, that through Jesus Christ we can be reconciled to God. It's no longer about whether we can do enough or have enough ability. We don't. It's about the fact that God, through Jesus Christ, has come to reconcile us and that we are now the ones to carry that message of reconciliation. Paul writes in the end of chapter 5, verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's our call. That's our message, to implore people to be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God took Jesus, and Jesus bore all our sin so that we would be reconciled and we would be righteous before God. So Paul, writing to those Christians in Corinth as well as to us, says, As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. In other words, don't just receive this and let it sit there. It is a message meant to be passed on. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. That quotation there is from Isaiah. It's from the Psalms. It's about the people of God crying out to God, wondering, when will you hear us? And here, Paul is quoting that cry out that we often did and says that God now hears us by saying this, I tell you now, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Paul says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. We commend ourselves. What he's saying there is the way we present ourselves to others, that we do it in a way that doesn't create any stumbling block for them to hear the message of reconciliation. It's that commending is how we stand, in what capacity we stand, in the manner in which we stand, the way we present ourselves. The word for commend is used more in this letter to the church in Corinth than in any other part of the New Testament. Paul falls all over himself with this word again and again throughout this letter to say it's about how we stand. It's about how we present ourselves. We don't want to get in the way of the message of reconciliation. And then Paul goes on to describe what this has looked like for him. We commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance and troubles, hardships and distresses. What does that look like? Well, it's looked like this. It's looked like beatings, imprisonments, and riots. And what have they chosen to voluntarily do? In hard work 
sleepless nights and hunger. And their behavior has been this, impurity, understanding, patience, and kindness. In the Holy Spirit and in sincere love. And what's been their tools or their weapons for all this? In truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. In other words, they haven't done this in their own strength. They've done this with God's power and God's strength. Through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report. And Paul goes on now to describe what this looks like. The world sees what the disciples have endured one way. Paul goes on to say, in each case, how the follower of Christ is called to see what they do. The world sees it one way. Christ's followers see it a different way. And here are the comparisons. Bad report and good report. Genuine, yet regarded as imposters. Known, yet regarded as unknown. Dying, and yet we live on. Beaten, and yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, and yet possessing everything. The world sees it this way. They see it as a bad report, as imposters, as people who are unknown, as people who are dying, as people who are sorrowful, as people who are poor and people who have nothing. And Paul says that's not the way it is at all when we're sharing God's message of reconciliation. In fact, we can give a good report, and we are known we're not dying, we live on. We may be beaten, but we're not killed. Some would think we should be sorrowful, but we're rejoicing, just as they were in that night in prison singing hymns after being beaten. Many think we're poor, but we're making many rich. And people think we don't have anything, and yet we possess everything. Ash Wednesday is a time to reframe ourselves, to see who we are called to be. We're called to repent before our Lord and carry a message of reconciliation. And as we carry that message of reconciliation, how should we regard ourselves as possessing everything? The final R comes to us in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus himself further affirms what Paul is saying. What Paul has discovered in Jesus, Jesus says this way as well. And it's all about our reward. If we were to repent and if we we're to reconcile people, then what is our reward? Paul writes this, or Jesus writes this, says this, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. 
But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've already received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The same theme of giving and praying continues with fasting in verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our reward is not with what God, other people see us doing, the praise that we can receive from others. This is a call for us to let go of seeking after that reward, but rather to seek the reward of our Father in heaven. To do what we do, not for our own gain, but for the gain of Jesus. We are called to repent. We're called to carry within our hearts that message of reconciliation, both for ourselves and for others. And we were to remember that in all that we do, yes, people are going to see what we do, but it's not for our glory, it's for His. And to keep our focus in the right place. So, the invitation to observe a holy Lent is this. Take time during this Lenten season, 40 days that don't count Sundays, by the way, 40 days in which you'll take time to do self-reflection, asking, how am I with God? Take time to repent to look at those parts within us that we haven't yet cleaned out, that we struggle with, now is the time once again to repent. Take time to pray. Maybe it's increasing the opportunities to pray. When you stop at a stoplight and waiting for that light to change, maybe it's a time to pray. If you're able and it's a healthy thing for you, maybe fasting. Time to fast. Certainly Lent is also a time to do good works, something for someone else. And finally, the invitation to Lent includes time to truly be in the Word. 
whether through its own personal time in the scriptures or joining with others to read through the scriptures and to ask, what is God asking of me? This is a special season. It's the time to rededicate ourselves and to explore once a gift all the gifts that have been given to us to grow in our faith. So I invite you to observe a holy, a set-apart time of Lent. We have another litany, a prayer. This one is different from the previous one in that this one, even though it's responsive like the other one, we begin together rather than I start it. Let's start together. Holy and merciful God, we confess to you and to one another and to the whole communion of saints in heaven and on earth that we have sinned by our own fault in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not forgiven others as we have been forgiven. We have not listened to your call to serve as Christ served us. We have not been true to the mind of Christ. We have grieved your Holy Spirit. We confess to you, O God, all our past unfaithfulness, the pride, hypocrisy, and impatience in our lives. Our self-indulgent appetites and ways and our exploitation of other people. our anger at our own frustration and our envy of those who are more fortunate than ourselves. Our intrepid love of worldly goods and comforts and our dishonesty in daily life and work. Our negligence in prayer and worship and our failure to comment the faith that is in us. Accept our repentance, O God, for the wrongs we have done, for our neglect of human need and suffering, and our indifference to injustice and cruelty. For all false judgments, for uncharitable thoughts towards our neighbors, and for our prejudice and contempt towards those who differ from us. for our waste and pollution of your creation and our lack of concern for those who come after us. Restore us, O God, and let your anger depart from us. Favorably hear us, O God, for your mercy is great. Amen. The imposition of ashes. This is one of those items I think must be on the minds of children. Why do you have 
a black cross on your forehead. What is that all about? Ashes are a reminder of our mortality. In a few moments, I'll invite you to come forward and and receive the imposition of ashes. And I'll place, if you so choose to come forward, I'll place the mark of the cross on your forehead, the same mark that you received at your baptism, the promise of the Holy Spirit. But today we're being reminded that it was, that we are from dust, and to dust we shall return. We're being reminded of our mortality. As well, as ashes have always been a symbol of penance or penitence. Long ago, our ancestors in the faith would place ashes on their heads when they were repenting. We've heard the terms sackcloth and ashes. So this is a sign reminding us of who we are, who we are without Christ. And yet we come forward knowing that we are in Christ and that this is a time in which we are once again choosing to follow him. Now, one other comment. Sometimes it's hard to receive the imposition of ashes having just heard our Lord's comments of not being like the hypocrites and being seen by others, fasting and so forth. And so there's a sense in which, now am I going to put a cross on my forehead so everybody can see me? That's not what this is about. This is about self-reflection and remembering who we are and whose we are. So I invite you now to come forward and receive the imposition of ashes. If you'd come down on the Let's see, be your right side and return on the left. I think that way we can manage the flow. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return.
Let's take some time to pray. Oh, Lord, you are so good to us. You know who we are. You know more about us than we know of our own selves. You know in all the ways we fail you and fall short of you. You know how we've run from you, hid from you, pretended that you can't see like a child under a blanket. Yet in all of this, in our many levels and layers of rejection, you sought us out. You sent your Son. You showed us the fullness of your love and giving up your Son in our place so that we might be redeemed, restored, reconciled to you. We praise you for this, O oh Lord. We praise you for the reminder this moment and this evening have for us to remember that we are, we are mortal, that we are but a few days without you. And yet in you, through you, we have the promise of not only new life, but life eternal with you into a glory we can't even fathom or imagine. So we praise you, O oh Lord, this night. And we pray you would guide our hearts through this Lenten season. Warm us from inside that we might follow you more fully, that we might taste and see that you are good, that we might test and know that when you call us forward we can trust in you for you indeed are our, our refuge and our strength guide us O lord in all of this just as jesus came and taught and guided the disciples and now us we pray as he taught us to pray saying our father who art in heaven Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand and sing.
And now, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this night and forevermore. Amen.